You have been a good boy. Have a lollipop. Now that you've cast out the evil sorcerer and taken his treasures and searched his colon for gems, it's time for you to kick back and listen to the Safe A Half Sideshow. Welcome to the Safe For Half Sideshow, where it's all fun and games until somebody takes a four-sider to the eye. Welcome to the end of year 2023, our retrospective show, which also involves emails. Lucky Liz. Yay. <laughs> Wait, what? It's an email show? Yeah, it's an email show. I, I thought we were reviewing Timeship 2, Still No Timeships. <laughs> That's next year's Christmas present for you. <laughs> anyway, I'm DM Mike, one of your hosts, and... For this year-end retrospective, I will be playing the Wizards of the Coast attempt to change the OGL. You evil man. <laughs> what? People get upset? What? And joining me is DM Liz, who will be portraying the AI art scandal from Wizards of the Coast. I would have gotten away with it, too, if it hadn't been for those meddling kids. And the fact you can't identify a crosswalk. Yeah, well. <laughs> and that is DM Corbett. Taking on the role of the Pinkertons. Yeah, give me those cards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know I sent them to you, but give them back anyway. <laughs> and last but not least, DM Jim, who will be portraying the ghost of wizard screw-ups of the future. I'm the release of D&D 1 this summer. <laughs> <laughs> and we are recording this in November, early November, so there's still plenty of time. I already know I'm going to tank. <laughs> <laughs> but what about the foil cover special? <laughs> the 12 different covers. Online only as non-refundable, funkable tokens. <laughs> I knew they'd funk me somehow. <laughs> <laughs> but do we want the funk? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, we have the end of year punch drunkness. Yes, we do. And so, before we start talking about what we've done this year, we're going to cover emails, or rather Liz's. I read all the emails on the face of the earth. No emails were harmed in the making of this podcast. Because I have to justify my existence on this show somehow. And we really need to catch up on these emails for the end of the year, so. Well, she also makes the cookies. Yeah, that too. Remember years ago on the old show when we used to split this up? How did you end up with it, Liz? <laughs> Just <laughs> lucky, I guess. <laughs> well, her voice is on the bumper, so it does say mm -hmm. she reads all the emails on the face of the earth, so. That's mm. Very she true. is now contractually obligated. I blame the voice acting classes. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Let's do that. <laughs> I pre Sorry, Holy that heck. was a cat falling out of my lap and clawing her way to oh, stay no. in it. Jesus. Ooh, I've, oh, I've had dear. that happen. That is <laughs> uh, not fun. <laughs> yes, that is the fifth and a half podcaster, little Miri. So. Okay. Emails. Emails. Our first email appears to be from Smith Forrester. S. Smith. Yeah. Smith says, just listen to the episode on the Morrow Project, which was outstanding, by the by. Woohoo! Thank you. I gotta agree with the combat system in particular, so much so, I jury-rigged a damage threshold mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> you guys ever covered any of DreamPod 9's material? Also, hope the podcast life is treating you well. Well, thanks. Uh, it's been all right. Fair to Midland, I guess. As far as DreamPod 9, no. Is that Jovian Chronicles that 
heavy gear. gear. Okay. Eventually, I'll have to pick heavy gear because I use a specific rule out of heavy gear that's like amazingly okay. good. So eventually, it'll have to be covered. <laughs> you can't hear it, but I'm nodding my head up and down like I understand any of these games you're talking about. <laughs> so Corbett just agreed to choose that at some future date. Oh yeah, looks definitely. like I'll be reading it though. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. It was it was pretty good. It's a big BattleTech type game. You should love it. Cool game. It was a cool game. It had some good rules. One day we'll definitely have to pick it up. It's just it's in the late '90s, so I haven't really. I've been trying to focus more on the old school games and the games that are inspired by them, which kind of leaves a huge gap in the Corbett, middle. I leave those for Liz. '90s is old school, Dale. <laughs> nope, that's only 30 <laughs> years ago. Only. So. Practically yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I only barely came out of the freezer pod, so... <laughs> he was trapped in a trajectory which froze his life support systems and returned Corbett to Earth 500 years later. <laughs> You'll all just have to imagine Corbett spinning. I'm always... Well, there you go. All right, next email. Okay, our next one is from Tony Emmel. And Tony. Tony writes, greetings, Safer Half podcasters. DM Tony here. It was great hanging out with y'all at Long Con Spring Edition a couple of weeks ago. Shows how old this mm. email is. It was also frozen yes. in time. Is, isn't that the con <laughs> you were just telling me off air you're going to next weekend? Yes, yep. this coming weekend. <laughs> As a matter of fact, in the email... Insert shameless plug. Just a reminder that the Long Con Full Edition is in Longview, Texas, Veterans Day weekend, and Goodman Games will be in attendance. End shameless plug. Which people won't <laughs> hear until afterwards, but think about the spring one coming up. The whole podcast is doing the Buck Rogers time spin, because when this comes out, it'll all be over. Yeah. <laughs> but we're going to be at that convention. Or, yes, or at least Saturday. have been. By the yeah. time you hear this. So Something. jump in your TARDIS and go back a couple of months yeah. and say hi. Yeah. So future Liz and future Mike, how now was you see, the That'll con? be included in Time Ship 2. <laughs> <laughs> and there will be a whole chapter on time traveling verb tenses and how to use them. So uh -huh. be on the lookout. And how everyone can travel in time ships except Jim. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy with the long way around. I'm going to outlive y'all. <laughs> You probably will. Probably. <laughs> so continuing on with Tony's email, he goes on to say, on the subject of the D&D &D cartoon being set in the Forgotten Realms, I felt oh. it was implied, but not overtly clear that was the case. However, at the height of the second edition, TSR released a comic book titled The Grand Tour in 1996. The premise is that Presto, the gang are all in their 20s now, by the way, is applying to become an apprentice to Elminster. Elminster takes him on a tour of the realms during his interview while gauging Presto's abilities and knowledge. So the old gang has been firmly in the realms over 27 years now. So can you only cast with that hat? <laughs> <laughs> so just a thought, DM Tony. <laughs> I've had a dumb question ever since I saw the D&D &D movie that I was too embarrassed to ask anyone. So I'll ask it now on air in front of dozens of listeners. Good idea. <laughs> I was already an adult when the D&D &D cartoon came out. So I just gave it a cursory glance and I definitely was too old to imprint on it. But like the big bad guy, Venger, is missing a horn, right? Yep. Yes. Correct. Okay, so as soon as that horn magic item appeared in the movie, I assumed that was his missing horn. And it was nothing of the kind, right? As far as we know... I don't think they ever said one way or the other. Yeah. So I'm not completely stupid by saying, hey, wait, no. that might be his missing horn. But in the movie, they were still teenagers, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Ah, could be. Could be. I always assumed that whatever happened to his horn had some reason why Tiamat hated his guts. Well, on that awkward note, let's go to a voicemail. Doors to die, doors tomorrow. I get tired of eating doors. Let me ask some dwarves so we can eat. Lots of recipes for cooking dwarves. Mm. What's your favorite recipe for cooking dwarves? Well, thanks, John. <laughs> First, I have to say, while I like dwarves, I can't eat a whole one. I, I need to kind of pace myself. Yeah, just a, a dwarf chop, maybe. Yeah, it's a marathon, not a sprint. 
a lot of people go with slicing their dwarves up. You really want to bludgeon them to make sure they get tenderized because they get tough. A common mistake is overcooking your dwarf and you want it to be tender. Well, one question I, I had for him that I wasn't really able to ask for obvious reasons is were the dwarves clerics or not? Because the problem is he's probably either eating them raw or, eat, or boiling them. But if they're clerics, they're friars. <laughs> Which one is kosher? <laughs> Well, gully dwarf certainly isn't, so. Personally, I find that dwarves tend to have a natural earthy flavor. So whatever you do, you probably want to try to balance that out using braising in a white wine sauce. That will help. A little bit of onion, something like that. You've you've got to try to counteract that to a degree because it can be overpowering. But if you follow those rules, dwarf can taste very good. French fries, broccoli, delicious. I, I love the person that actually cooks has the best answer because I would have <laughs> just said, you know, I just need uh, dwarf nuggets with some uh, Mulan sauce or something. <laughs> well, wouldn't you want a honey dipping sauce since they like mead so much? Uh, I think Szechuan would be the ticket, but that's just me. But I'm coming to your house to get Liz's version because you know, <laughs> that sounded really good. <laughs> that's fair. Well, I hope we've answered your question, John Williams. <laughs> bon appetit. And now back to the email. Back to the emails. Alrighty. Okay. Next email is from Dylan Koss. And I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly, Dylan. Like sort of Koss? K-O-S-S. So Dylan writes, hi all. Liz, thanks for taking on the great task of the mailbag. We all appreciate it. Aww. Thank you. You are appreciated. Yay, somebody appreciates me. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to start with the fact that I'm on the younger scale of your listeners, mid-20s, and generally the D slash GM of my group. My sympathies. You Mm. guys are great, and your advice is stellar. I love to hear your insights and takes on the history and evolution of RPGs, so thank you so much for making the show. I always try to keep in mind Corbett's ladder economy whenever (laughs) I read a new system. (laughs) Oh, I've ruined him. I'm sorry. (laughs) I wanted to ask a few questions, so feel free to split them up amongst a couple of episodes if need be. No, we can't. Now we're going to power through all of (laughs) it. I generally cycle through a variety of systems and try to encourage old school play because I love the concept. Being clever, using your wits and inventiveness to outsmart and beat dungeons is the way I like to imagine games going. But my players generally prefer the more rules-based character focus of D&D, Pathfinder, etc., to the point that it goes against y'all's tenets of don't play from your character sheet. I've run two DCC funnels and various low-level OSR games, Lamentations of the Flame Princess, DCC modules, Into the Unknown, The Black Hack, and Outcast Silver Raiders. However, while we all have fun... My players say it's tough for them to get attached to characters because they're quick to potentially die, especially for a funnel where they can't bring themselves to care about the poor gong farmer who just took a firebolt to the face. So, what can I say that might change their minds or get them attached to these low-slash-no-level adventurers? I'm not forcing them to play these. Just every now and then, they say they want to try old-school play again, but inevitably lose interest when they've used their one spell or been knocked down by a lucky strike from a demon hound. Well, A, that's a good question, because I'm thinking about it now. (laughs) I don't have a a snap answer for it. Uh, Part of the problem with really low-level characters is I'm not sure you're really supposed to be too wedded to them right out the gate. Right. Yeah. You, you become attached when they manage to survive and they've made it to the point. Right. And you develop their background or whatnot. You get attached to them. You don't start attached. Yeah. But I know that's kind of antithetical to modern play in a lot of ways. I've seen a lot of people make like these huge backstories for their character to make them this big thing in their mind. And they like instantly are disillusioned when the character dies because they're just too young, too, too started. So what he's saying about rocking it back and forth is a good idea because it gives them a taste and then they go back to what they're comfortable with. And then it's just up to the group. If a, an old school style campaign suddenly blossoms out of one of those character funnel adventures or lamentations or something, then he's got them. Right. The only other thing I could possibly think of to do would be to perhaps try starting them out 
slightly higher level when they go back mm. to an old school style of play. Yeah. Rather than starting out with zero first level characters, say we're starting out this time with third level characters. Yeah. I know that's kind of antithetical, at least as far as campaigns go, but I agree. I think if you want to get them really connected, but still have that old school gaming paradigm, that might be the way to go. There are two gentlemen. One has a podcast on YouTube called Roland Bones. His name is Ryan Howard. And there's an artist that we all know and is in the OSR end of things named uh, Keelan Halverson but his artist name is Wonky. And those two guys have teamed up to form their own little indie publishing company. I don't think their first stuff comes out for another month or so, but their entire premise in this partnership, they're both very interested in the old school style of play, but they want to figure out, they're, they're like 26 and 27 or 27 and 28. They want to rebrand it for their age group by removing it from referencing the era and focusing on the mechanics. Thus, they've named their company Guts and Glory. Huh. <laughs> the email writer can just go check out the Roland Bones podcast on YouTube, Ryan Howard, and they frequently do episodes where it's just the two of them talking about their plans. You can catch up on some of those. They're in your exact, the email writer's exact seat. They're trying to figure out how to rebrand and remarket this to younger age groups. Well, in a month, it'll be when this comes out, so <laughs> that will be well-timed. Yeah. If we're lucky, mm. we might even be able to put a link in the show notes <laughs> to take you directly to, <laughs> to their, their store, first, their first yeah. stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. Duh. You could do that. Fingers crossed. Anyone else? Or next question. It's more of an insight, I think. Uh, he said, everybody's having fun. And if everybody's having fun, it really doesn't matter what you're playing. I mean, old school, new school. As you're having fun, it's fun. Well, if you're not having fun and they're having fun, then it's an right. imbalance. And you I was about to say, the DM out. needs to have fun too. Well, he doesn't say he's not having fun, but he says they're having well, it, fun. I, I so... kind of inferred, I don't know that he's not having fun, but it seems to me it's like he wants to run an old school campaign. And they seem to be, from what I get from the email, at best, wanting to do one shots. Well, that kind of goes back to the, the sorrow for being the DM, because the DM is the most excited player in the group. Because you don't get to play. <laughs> You've got to okay. run it. <laughs> so so now we can talk about this at a deeper level. Because until I met Todd Bunn and started gaming at Gateway Games and more, RIP that game store, it's now closed. Todd's whole philosophy was to bring in the teenagers to his store and mm -hmm. run them through the whole color palette of game systems. And he created, mm -hmm. I mean, and he did that. I think that store opened up 12 years ago. He created an entire generations of suddenly now their 20s and 30s who have as much fun playing 5th edition as they do playing DCC, as they do playing Call of Cthulhu, as they do playing OD&D. Right. The same group of kids. And not everybody's head's wired that way. There's, of course, there's a filtering process because some people have a, this is the only play style I prefer. Right. Just made my heart warm and fuzzy because... Growing up in it back in the late 70s, early 80s, like we all did, we played it all and got a taste of it all. And and, and I can speak for the group. We all enjoyed everything we played, right? Mm, mm. Mostly. Except for 99%. <laughs> the only time I didn't enjoy it was when there was a player or, or the group who was doing something weird or something that was like not fun. Like in timeship. Hey! You know, <laughs> oh no, that's just mean to the rules. No, I'm talking about like social discord well, yeah, and stuff. That, it do, just doesn't well, work well. And he said that he's been running through lots of different systems. So salute yeah. on that one. That's good. For almost 50 years, people have been trying to write game rules that will fix DMs and terrible players, and no one has done it yet. And they never will, because you got to fix human beings first. So we need to make humans better, stronger, hmm. faster. <laughs> <laughs> more Lee majors. <laughs> Definitely more uh, Lee majors. Okay. By D&D &D 7th edition, it'll all be AI, generative AI. So that'll fix it. That'll <laughs> fix everything. You think it'll take it that long? <laughs> mm. I think Revised 6 will do it. But anyway, next question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the next question. What's so bad about Conga Line Initiative? As in, everyone rolls and adds a modifier, then you go down the line until you hit zero, starting again in the next round at the top. I've heard various people are against it, but whenever I've tried group initiative, things just get messy. Who is where? People trying to set up actions, but not sure of when they go off. And don't get me started on Greyhawk. Announcing spell casting at the top of the turn, then doing nothing until it's the end. My players almost mutiny when we tried a round like that, especially when the wizard lost his one spell. 
3E and up initiative just seems like the best, but I'd love to hear the best initiative examples y'all are familiar with. Also, if I wrongly identified Conga Line initiative, please forgive me. I can't find a single source online, but it's definitely been said on this podcast and maybe that other one you all used to be a part of. Don't say it, Mike. What, the Crusader? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I do mean the opposite but for i'm i'm the oldest one here and conga line meant you just roll initiative for each side and take turns bashing each other more like you would in a war game which is where D came from in the 70s yeah but his point remains though i mean if it works for you that's great you're right it does especially in large groups Rerolling initiative every round can get tedious. My personal opinion is it just doesn't strike me as realistic that somebody loses initiative and can never regain it for the entire combat. But hey, you know, if it works for you and your group, you do it. Matt Finch runs his Swords and Wizardry game. I've played, and so has Liz. And there's some of that in there where like spells and range attacks have to be announced up top and all that stuff. And like everything else, I'm I'm fine with that once I get used to it. But Everybody should just play the initiative order that they like. Yeah. Right? Mm, Well, depending Um, on the rules. I know people who are pro the group initiative. Some of them are pro because it is messy. And they say that it is more realistic to what combat would actually be like. Right. And I get where they're coming from. But when you're playing a game as opposed to actually being in a combat, do you really want everyone at the table being confused and it just slows down your game. So Yeah, in real life, I just need initiative enough to shove one of my teammates forward while I run for it. <laughs> in real life. <laughs> the buddy system. Supers is a great example of when a conga line style initiative kind of works well to roll once and stick with it. Because there, you have the speedster who has like seven attacks and the... You know, people who have who who act at different speeds and different turns and different phases for different reasons because of their powers, which makes it awkward in a fantasy game or uh, in a post-apoc game. It's very much melee to the point of you attack, I attack, you attack, I oh, attack. That's a good point, Mike. What do you think about this? It's not finished, but I've mostly written Mega Heroes, my superhero RPG, and I eliminated initiative roles by just saying everybody, every combat round acts in the order of their speed, other side included. So in that example, exactly what Corbett was talking about happens. The speedster is always going to go first and do everything first, every combat. That's what champions did. You know, their speed yeah. factor and segments and everything. It was all mathed out excessively but yeah i mean they did not even real i think they had something about surprise but other than that it's like nope it depends on your speed and that makes absolute sense you know especially when you're dealing with things like a like a speedster or something you know i will say in favor of group initiative as far as like the basic fantasy game goes it makes for a good group combat style because then like okay we're gonna x minute and cannonball special and do all we're gonna do this and the gm has to counter it with i hit him with a thing (laughs) i'm taking all betters i bet right now liz's favorite initiative system is whichever one is in home's basic box set maybe maybe (laughs) i was going to say usually when i've been in a game where group initiative was used the dm still breaks it apart by saying okay you all go next but who has the highest dexterity? Yeah. And we go in yeah. order of dexterity. Yep. So it's still kind of broken up. It's just less random. Yeah. Anyway, hope that answers that. Next. These are good emails. Yeah, yeah. Mm, it's the same Which email. Oh, yeah, questions. right, right. <laughs> good questions. Was all that time just one question? Yeah. Well, it felt like longer because you lost initiative, Jim. Uh. (laughs) all right finally not a question more of a comment if you haven't looked Uh into outcast silver raiders i think it's a fun system and amazing setting but i'm biased and back to the kickstarter so if you've got a spare topic lying around it certainly fits the brief of old school games and modern games inspired by them I sent an email through the website ages ago, but it never went through. So DM Kojo wasn't lying, I swear. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to my ramblings. Dylan, former fellow Dallasite, now abroad.
Well, thanks, well, Dylan. I'm sorry you're not in the DFW area anymore. In the website's defense, I have no control over <laughs> other people's firewalls. Yeah, when this email came in, I went and looked at Outcast Silver Raiders, and I'm going to probably get it at least in PDF form whenever it fulfills, because it, it's awesome. One thing, it's OSR, Outcast Silver Raiders. Get it? Uh-huh. Oh, I didn't. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I didn't either until I first started looking at it, and then it was like, wait, OSR? Oh, I get it now. But it's a D&D game, but it advertises itself. This is D&D as if it played like everyone in the PTAs and televangelists said it played back in the 80s. So what if it really was satanic? Yes. <laughs> or at least, you know, encourage that sort of thing. It, From what I could see, the, the setting is sort of like Warhammer, only dark and grim. Oh, but what happens if Silverleaf dies? Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at it right now online, and I love the graphic design. Oh, the yeah. Thing. They got a heavy metal artist to do the art for it. And, and it's like, ooh, ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> As a metalhead myself, I'm like, yes, I may have to look at this. This looks cool. And they even had a pledge level of $666. <laughs> Where, yeah, not only did you get some of the goodies, but you got one of the original art pieces that had been painted for it. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was like only limited, I think, to like eight or something, you know, because of the number of art pieces. But, you know. Hardbound, six by nine inch. That's my favorite publication size. Okay, I don't have the money right now, but I'm going to get this too. Yeah, I'm going to, we'll we'll put the link in the show notes because, yeah, this, this looks, yes. <laughs> awesome sauce. We could use this for a pick. Yeah. And as yeah. far as Blackleaf, Corbett, I think the little cartoon told you exactly what you have to do when Blackleaf dies. You you have to learn how to use the levitation spell. Yeah, you have to learn how to use levitation <laughs> spell before you can play again. And show it to one of the players. That's what you have to do. And That's then go true. out and get a better artist a for your comic booklet. <laughs> or do a video movie that is totally <laughs> awesome. If you haven't watched that dark dungeons you really should it it's brilliant all right any more emails yes our next email is from peter sanzone sanzone anyway Apologies mm. if we're mispronouncing which i am almost certainly doing so mm. peter says sorry had to send this again as i had gotten an email box full response yeah sorry that was our bad our google drive got messed up but we fixed it hello dms i hope this email finds you well hello I'm a more recent player of tabletop RPGs, on and off since 2016, but got very into playing in 2020 and started DMing in 2021. Awesome! Growing up in the early 90s was a very video game heavy time, so I never got the chance to play pen and paper games because none of my friends did. Uh. Now I am making up for lost time and trying out different systems from what most of my friends and I play. 5e and Pathfinder, and have started working on my first homebrew world for DCC. Because that's the way you do it. Yep. (laughs) I write to say that I really appreciate the podcast for exposing me to the systems I missed out on and for helping me try new things as a DM. I think all of your love for the tabletop RPG space shines through in the podcast, even on systems you don't like. Time ship. I also write to say it was racking my brain trying to figure out where I heard the musical sting at the beginning of the podcast network plug. And I finally figured it out when I was looking for music to play during sessions and revisited a favorite anime OST of mine. Hope to get to play with y'all at a con sometime so I can learn from the best. Peter Senzen. Thanks, Peter. Oh, and he's right. I just got outed. I, I stuck a little perfectly fair use legal under 30 second clip from an uh, anime called Hacksign. <laughs> it's in that little network identifier. Wow, the anime Ooh. even sounds D&D-ish. <laughs> so thanks for noticing and uh, the info. We appreciate you appreciating yes. us. Yes. <laughs> And sorry, the 90s was a dark time. <laughs> in, in the 90s, I went to a science fiction convention and stood in line to get Mark Goddard, Major West from Lost in Space's autograph, lost my mind with nervousness when I got up there and just said something ridiculous like, thank you for making 7.30 on Wednesday special. And he looked up at me and said, I knew there was some reason I took that crappy job. You're welcome. <laughs> so thanks. I know there's some reason I'm here. You're welcome. All right. 
Any more emails? We've got one final email. One more. Again, from somebody named Tony Emil. Never heard of him. <laughs> and now, this time, instead of DM Tony, he is Judge Tony. Oh. <laughs> it may just be because I just watched Dread on Netflix, but I hear Judge <laughs> Tony, and I just picture him in that black and gold outfit with the helmet. He's trying to tell us they're playing DCC. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, Tony writes... Hello, Judge Tony here. First, to follow up on Radio Free Muncie's email about the D&D movie and Mordenkainen. Am I the only one that remembers the dragon articles that Ed Greenwood wrote where Raceland, Elminster, and Mordenkainen would have meetings in his living room while he eavesdropped from hiding? <laughs> Am I having a Mandela movement here? <laughs> he goes on to say, Ha! I found it in Timothy Brannan's blog. The series was The Wizards 3. And then he gives a link to Timothy Brannan's blog post where he talks about that, which we can put up in our show notes. But mm. for anyone who's not familiar, Timothy Brannan's blog is called The Other Side, and it is something you probably would want to check out if you have not already done so. Yeah, neat stuff. Second, following up on Cthulhu for D&D players, Joseph Block released mm. a supplement for Adventures Dark and Deep, cough, cough, titled Swords of Cthulhu in PDF and POD. I have yet to pick it up, but it's on the list. Of course, Goblinoid Games did publish Crawling Chaos for Labyrinth Lord, so there are things out there. Well, that's all for now. Remember to let the dice fly high. Judge Tony. Thanks again, Tony. Yeah, I picked up Sword of Cthulhu, uh, and I got the hard copy to give to my friend Ben, and I got the PDF, but I haven't actually looked at it yet. I noticed you didn't buy a copy to give to your DM, Chase. <laughs> no, although he hasn't been our DM for years now, so it would actually be safe. As far as The Wizards 3, I think that started... After I stopped really reading Dragon regularly. Yeah, I stopped reading like around 110, 120. So, yeah, I, I, that's how I missed out. Sad, sad money. <laughs> <laughs> Is it my imagination or do we have a higher quality level of emails suddenly? I think we're just recognizing at the end of the year our brilliant, handsome, and intelligent listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not getting paid for that at all. <laughs> Honestly. Honestly. So if you can get the contact form on the website to work for you, or our Google Drive isn't full, yes, you <laughs> send us some more emails to Corbett. <laughs> yeah, send them to me. I'm fine. <laughs> Save for half podcast at gmail.com. Sorry, let me say it correctly. Say for half podcast at gmail.com. Right. <laughs> Isn't that right, that Liz? That is exactly right. Indeed. Now over to the weather. Now, Jim, with weather. <laughs> it stinks. <laughs> it's dark as we're recording this. Daylight savings time upsets me. <laughs> Not like in our day when we didn't. Oh, right. Yeah, we did. Never mind. All right. Well, let's talk about 2023. Do a brief run through of what we've done other than the podcast. Let's start with Jim, because he's probably done mo more than the rest of us. <laughs> he's actually done mm. things, so... <laughs> I don't know where you get that from, because when it comes to in-person gaming, I have trouble leaving my house for introversion. But I did just get in from GameholeCon, went to GaryCon this year. Those were fantastic, and I have managed to squeeze out two issues of Scientific Barbarian, by the time this Ew. releases, they'll both be done, but got one delivered and the Kickstarter for the next one uh, launches in two days from this recording. And that makes me very, very happy. Cool. That's the Thunder the Barbarian magazine, too. So that's one to really look yeah, forward yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. Issue six is a Thundar theme, which has a, a great article on how to play Thundar in 5e, DCC, or OSR uh, by Mark Hunt, the guy that owns currently owns Gangbusters RPG. Demon dogs. And there were lots of supplementary articles that are along that theme because my publishing philosophy is give the people what they want. Yeah, yeah. Ah, all right. Well, uh, Liz and I have been playing in our second edition D&D game, which has recently shifted over to Pathfinder. I'm very ambivalent about that. 
but I've what? Wait, what? What? That I'll give it a chance. <laughs> what? Yes. Uh, I yeah, know. It's no right? time ship. That's as close to a David Tennant impression as I can do. What? <laughs> what? 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the guys in the group dearly, dearly loves Pathfinder and eight thousand skill trees and everything. So to make him happy, our DM Alex has moved the game trying the game for Pathfinder and I've said, well, I've never actually played Pathfinder so I'll try it. I would call for an immediate who's going to be our new lead host vote, except <laughs> the three of us don't want to do that amount of work. <laughs> well, don't worry because I pretty much told him, the deal is if I play this and I don't like it and everyone else does, then you need to continue running it as Pathfinder. I'll just show up and mock people. I don't yeah. need to play. I'll just show up and be sociable. There are worse outcomes than that. What if it's like crack? What if you try it and you like it? Well, I've already played it once, and no, I'm I'm not overly impressed. But I'll give it one more session, and then we'll see. I'm just kidding around. If it's <laughs> your home group, you probably have a ball, right? Eh. I mean, 2E isn't exactly my favoritest system in the world, but, you know, I'll tolerate it. Pathfinder. I mean, I know lots of people, lots of perfectly fine people who love Pathfinder. <laughs> and that's fine. That's fine. But it's Windows just... is an excellent operating system for those who choose to use it. Or are forced to. But yeah, it's just not for me. It's way too crunchy. I just don't like that much crunch. There are times I feel like 2E is too crunchy for me, but that's the best I can get around here. Although Alex keeps threatening he's going to run a BX campaign soon. I'm holding out for a hero on that one. I've also been running Morrow Project for the year. Yay! And watching people get horribly injured and then mutated, which is always fun. Although, you know, it just shows the combat system and how players work. There was going to be a scene where they faced off with this crazy cultist who had opened up a Soviet nuclear weapon and had the granulated plutonium there and was going to stick his hands in and throw it on the, the team as they came in. He lost initiative, and Alex's character just pulls his gun out and shoots location head with a three fifty seven Magnum. <laughs> well, there with that grand uh, confrontation. Uh, well, we still managed to get mutated anyway, so it's not like that didn't happen. <laughs> Well, you did. <laughs> so you wound up going a little more Gamma World than Mad Max? Or? Well, no. It, according to the Morrow Project, there is a slim chance that rather than just getting leukemia, you can mutate. And I had them do it at the time. It's like, all right, make your constitution checks. And they made them by five. So it's like, all right, you get mutations instead. But <laughs> even in Morrow Project, the mutations, virtually all of them are very subtle mutations they're not oh. suddenly you've got a second head or four arms or or... seven feet tall green and can jump a quarter mile with giant yeah. hairy feet yeah <laughs> my character much. does not even know that anything has happened to her yet and it yeah. may be a while before she figures it out it's a mental one and mm. yeah one of the earlier priests sliced through her gloves so her hand was nice and wounded and bare when they were entered the room and after he shot him is when they noticed what is all that um, according to your nuclear physicist, he says it's granulated plutonium. The rest of the team ran out. That was the smart move. Ben <laughs> was the only one in a hazmat suit. So, you know, the rest of them are like, we're out. Because if you miss your save, it's going to be more like real life. Your yeah. hair's all going to fall out and your skin starts to melt. And you... Right. You get leukemia. and Vomit yeah. up your colon and have a bad day. Of course, the problem is two more of the crazy priests came in and started shooting at Ben's character, who's there by himself trying to disarm the Russian nuclear warhead. My character asked Ben's if he needed me to stay and assist him. Yes, the one with the horrible hand wound asked That's what to I stay. figured. I already had an open wound in this radiation-rich area anyway. It's like any damage has probably already been done, so... This is the first episode of She-Hulk happening, right? <laughs> <laughs> you hurt Aaron. Aaron, smash. <laughs> But anyway, we've run that through and mess with them. A 12-year-old girl has adopted them, and she is convinced she is, like, the biggest badass in the world. So that's been a lot of fun. Is her name Mary? Uh, no, <laughs> Jess. 
Oh, I could change it to Miri if Liz really wants me to. <laughs> you, you, you do you, Mike. Okay. I just like explaining why I named my cat Miri, because like one in four people get it. And the, everybody else is just like, wait, what? Yeah, but the cult they ran into worshipped Charles Manson. So that was mm. a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, that was disturbing. Yeah, when you went in the temple and there was that bass relief carving of, of Manson ascending to heaven, you know, while the pig men writhed beneath him in the flames. Yeah, yeah, that was, wow. So yeah, there was the 2E game. We're still going through that Rise of the Rune Lords adventure path. Although, to be fair, we're only playing like once a month, and then we're only getting about Morrow Project once a month, so that's pretty much our gaming. Liz and I were granted into the Hall of Fame at North Texas RPG Con. Yay! Which was was fun. Would have been more fun if someone would have told us, so we were there. (laughs) It was a surprise to find out later. Yeah. We're Mm -hmm. having dinner with Alex and Amanda, and they go, oh, congratulations, by the way. And we're like, for what? Oh, okay. Although, to be fair, the reason we weren't at the ceremony was we were already scheduled to be playing in a game with Janelle Jakeways, so we were playing Hero Quest. <laughs> Which I thought was the, the derivative RuneQuest game, and it turned out, no, it was the Milton Bradley plastic figures game. Which was fine, but, you know, it wasn't what I was expecting. But Liz was happy because of her mini. I was playing the half-ogre? No, full orc. Half- it was a full, full orc Full orc bard. bard. And it was so awesome because he was dressed up like a swashbuckler and he had the hat with the feather and everything. Yeah, and... the 60s Robin Hood, Will Scarlet kind of jongleur outfit. But, but it's an, an orc. And it's like, this is perfect. Don't, don't dress for the job you have. Dress for the job you want. <laughs> That's have, right. Right. But the only other thing as I was solicited by Battlefield Press to submit a short story to their Gaslight Anthology of stories that's supposed to come out next year. And I've submitted a story and they didn't send you a, send me a thank you, but no thank you letter. So hopefully that'll get published soon. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So that was nice. I also did some write-ups for their Gaslight RPG for Sherlock Holmes and, and such. So, but the story I have, it's basically uh, Jack the Ripper facing off with Spring Hill Jack. Got to have a bit of a victorious vibe in there, you know? Gotta have those supers. Mm. Everybody has their favorite time era. Yours is like late 19th century. Mine is what we're about to go into here in a few years. <laughs> oh, the post-apoc? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, a bit of do about nothing. I was listening to a new podcast. Well, it's not new. It's actually been stopped for a couple of years now, but it's called Podcast at Ground Zero. And it's a couple of guys from the gaming industry. Scott Glancy from Pagan Publishing and Jared Wallace from his uh, Dagon Industries, I think it is. He does some like various Cthulhu stuff. But anyway, they do it. And Jared Wallace happened to mention that the first game he started with wasn't D&D, but Gamma World. Mm. And how ever since, you know, he'll, he'll play D&D and stuff, but post-apoc, especially Gamma Worldy post-apoc, has been his thing. Huh. And best of all, he mentioned on an episode from like, 2015 2014 that he had met this cool guy at gen con by the name of jim wampler who had just put Mm. out you know mutant crawl classics and was really looking forward to talking with him more and having him on the show and unfortunately it didn't work out which is a pity because he was really talking you up yeah i'm not sure how to respond except i hope i haven't disappointed you in the intervening eight years (laughs) (laughs) well stuff happens and he didn't keep up with you, I guess. So it's probably just both of you were busy and couldn't get through because he's a Gamma World fiend. I mean, they've already had like three or four episodes just on Gamma World and Gamma World t- products. Well, it sounds like we'd be friends because Gamma World was the second game I imprinted on after AD&D. So, you know, you are mm-hmm. where you come from. It's a video podcast as well as an audio. And apparently on the video cast, you can see behind him, he has on two shelves every Gamma World product ever put out for all seven editions, even though he hates 7th edition too. And the uh, White Wolf edition, I bet he he hates that too. Yeah, but, you know, he's a completist, so he's got it all. He's even got all the Grenadier minis. Wow. Ooh, I've got a pretty good collection of those, but I don't have them all. I it's I wish we were friends because Bob Brinkman is my friend in that respect with Metamorphosis Alpha. We actively compete against each other in a very friendly manner. Do you have everything for Metamorphosis Alpha? 
And now we're at like this Cold War where we where, where we both think we have the superior collection because I think he's miscounting bracelets. <laughs> well, you could get Jen to double check for you. This is how bad we are. Jim Ward auctioned off on eBay molds for never released Metamorphosis Alpha coin game. And I couldn't, I knew I wasn't going to be able to afford them, but Bob could, except Bob can't cast, but I have access to Iron Wind Metal. So we just yeah. did a deal. And we both got coins out of it. Sweet. But anyway, I'll try and put that podcast in the show notes, because even though they're done, they did like 94 episodes. They cover books. They cover games. They, In fact, they covered a board game called Fallen Land, which even though I don't generally do board games anymore, I'm going to get that just because it sounds so cool. And it's cooperative, so Liz will like it. And uh, that's that's about it. We're going to Long Con this coming weekend. Hopefully we'll see folks there. Tell them hi. I've been invited to FinCon early next year in February, so I'll probably be going to that because they invited me as a guest. So, like, free? Um, okay, sure. Uh, what about you, Corbett? What you done this year? Gaming wise, not a ton other than the podcast. I've been trying to cheer up a friend of mine who's going through a divorce by running a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game, but uh, before or after it became the new hot. 40 years later before back when it was the palladium edition yeah the original which is actually reprinted yeah it's back now and everybody's having a cow over it okay. i don't know i just played it back when i actually were playing an 80s game set because everything in the game is like you know cbs and there's no cell phones and stuff like that so i was like oh we'll just play it 85 run around the city and do ninja type uh, anthropomorphic animal i can appreciate stuff. that i've told my gaming group that if i run another morrow campaign i'm going to have them it going to be based back in 1989, which the original Morrow Project was, so it can get all 80, oh. 80s-licious Cold War on, on everyone. <laughs> An 80s setting is a period piece. I never thought I'd live this long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the old days, you know, 85. Yep, there's some books called, <laughs> uh, it's like three or four supplements for um, Mutants and Masterminds called War Games. Mm. They're basically a campaign setting for running Mutants and Masterminds, but specifically in the 1980s with all the genre pieces there. Before the social media and the internet, when, you know, if you wanted to hear the inner thoughts of a sociopathic politician, you'd have to send them a self-addressed stamped envelope. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, there were BBSs where at least four or five of your friends are on it, you know, and that's it. But no, it's a, it's a game. It's another game I'll probably pick somewhere down the road because TMNT was always kind of fun, but pretty crunchy. Well, Palladium. Palladium love doing oh, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and to get revenge, Liz will choose Robotech. <laughs> I don't know. Robotech was kind of fun, actually. I, sure. I if you don't die in the first five minutes. If you play it as the opera that it's supposed to be, you probably wouldn't. Well, I guess you still could. Yeah. Shrapnel and everything else. <laughs> Which I don't mind dying in five minutes if it didn't take two hours to make a character. Don't be silly. It's only an hour and 58 minutes to really make a character. <laughs> two hours. You're just over-exaggerating it. You expert it. Palladium player, sure. But... No, we're not talking about riffs, of course. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, of course. But it riffs. The number one game for people that no one ever actually plays. Yeah, welcome to Riffs 101. Character <laughs> generation. This class will focus on how you create a character and... well actually it'll it'll be on how you generate attributes next semester the 1302 course will be on choosing skills oh well and one day we'll have to pick riffs too that's a yeah. that's a doomed one eventually to happen that's why people you know say you know back in the day games weren't crunchy games are only crunchy nowadays and like, uh, no we had our crunchies too dude anyway the champions <laughs> yeah champions <laughs> especially uh blue book champions from ice yeah mm. anything else uh nope that's about okay. it okay sorry liz was there anything i missed for us no not that i can think of it's not okay. even a top five show and you stole all our numbers <laughs> uh, i will say we finished watching star maidens and i'm really getting a blake seven vibe again might have to run another blake seven game yes <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, it's like Blake 7, only cheesy. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Although, honestly, I gotta say, even though it was a horribly, wonderfully terrible show, the sets for Planet Medusa were actually pretty good looking i mean they were stealing those from space 1999 no, nevertheless they yeah. i mean that that little promenade 
shot that they give you every single episode. They were clearly <laughs> very proud of that set. And so they tried to make sure that you saw it every time. Every single show. <laughs> yeah, Gareth Thomas starred in it. And it was like in 1976, but the music sounds like it's from 1971. It's very mm-hmm. and it was like Yeah, it was British ITV along with a West German TV series. So the actors are all either British or they're Germans speaking English with German accents. And yeah, it's about a planet where women rule and men are helpless domestics and to escape, to try to go to a world called Earth where men are free. And of course, the (laughs) the women go chasing after them and it's basically a reverse of gender stereotypes. You know, men are too emotional. They can't do science. Yeah. So far, you're not really selling it to me. <laughs> men are only good for domestic work and other things, as the narrator says at the beginning. So like that Next Gen episode, Angel One, where they think they're being really progressive with the planet of the women, but you watch it now and go, oh my God, why? how did this ever get on air? But it's so, mm-hmm. so 70s, especially when they're wandering around 70s britain it says oh oh you are steet you are waiting some of the waka chickas they have there you're waiting for starsky and hutch to show up (laughs) it's just so 70s it's great it's a terrible (laughs) show but it's hilarious in its terribleness if that makes any sense whatsoever so you got to watch it with a mystery science theater 3000 yes 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 yes. oh yes okay yes yes as long as you do that yeah it's yeah and for some reason, it only made one season. <laughs> I'm not sure why. Oh, that's it, guys. I guess this is ending up our 2023. Everyone should be listening to this in early December. So we'll catch everybody in 2024, assuming the world hasn't blown up by then or something. Keeping Jim's hopes alive. <laughs> it'll be. It, it'll either be us or generative AI deepfakes of us. Definitely next year. Well, great. I was going to say, say goodnight, everybody. But now I guess I should say, say goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Duck and cover. Goodbye. <laughs> Make sure your power cells are charged. See ya. See ya next year-ish. 100 years? Who knows? Free arc, but frozen to escape the apocalypse. <laughs> or The Save Have Podcast is a production of the Mud Puppy Games Network and the Gagman Podcast. The Save for Have theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. All player characters mentioned in this podcast are fictional, and any resemblance to PCs living or dead is purely coincidental. No NPCs were armed in the making of this podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save for Have. I'm more than 20 like a 60